wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 457 of the JV Club with my wonderful guest, Beth Lapides. She has been around for quite some time in an awesome way, uh, creator of a little something called the Uncabaret that you'll hear us talk much more about during the episode, as well as her new audiobook that has lots of wonderful contributions from other amazing folks called So You Need to Decide. I know you'll enjoy this episode. You're not going to have to decide whether to enjoy it or not. I'm so sorry. But please, enjoy the episode. Don't let my horrible punning ruin that for you. Us this long to meet. I know. Somehow. I know. We've been, like, <laughs> we've been circling each other for I so know. many years. We have so many people in common. I know. It's outrageous. And of course, I knew who you were long before I'm sure you knew who I was because no. I followed the whole Bay Area into Largo, Los Angeles, Odenkirk, right. like, you know, just that whole Patton, the Patton, whole thing. Greg Barrett, like yeah. all of the Margaret, all yeah. the gems, all the gems. Yeah. And are you still in San Francisco? No, no. I'm down here and I just go yeah. up there for Sketchfest. I want to do it. You I've should never co- you should it. totally do it. You should totally bring do Uncab. It. I know. I in fact I know for sure we have talked about Uncab and yeah. like it was either not going it specifically at whatever yeah, the years, w- you know what I we mean? Took like a little break, yeah. But um and Bart Coleman also uh oh, yeah, friend yeah, in yeah, common yeah, yeah. and a huge fan of yours and a delightful and longtime friend of so mine. Sweet. And yeah. He's such, Send him he's, my love. I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. yeah. He's done so much for the alt comedy scene, yes. just bringing it to the attention of networks and yes. like, what a champion. Yeah. What a champion. So great. And you're in LA too, yeah? I am now. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long were you in SF? I was never in SF. You were never, you were never there? Mm-mm. So you, so the, the SFers and the LAers sort of joined to make like an uber comedy scene yeah, when I'm most of them migrated down. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who the first people from SF were that were... I mean, I think what happened was that Dana started to do the show. Yes. And indeed. that he was already here. But then I think through Dana, I think he that would was make the conduit for a bunch of the SF people. I think. I th- I'm guessing. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, yeah. it's it's true that it's all just a beautiful fuzzy blur <laughs> For me, even going back that far as a fan, for sure. Yeah. Uh, And how how did Uncap start? I mean, this is such a boring question, but Um, but now I get to ask you all the things that I didn't know the answers to (laughs) all these many years that I've known about it and seen it. Oh my god! Um, It's the very original start of Uncabaret was I was doing comedy and one person shows, air quotes, and um, I was doing a show at the a place called the women's building which was a little Mm -hmm. arty enclave downtown la and uh you know how sometimes you're in an audience and you're like i wish it was quite as funny as you thought it was but you know i'm gonna (laughs) go with it unfortunately yes i do know that (laughs) i know that feeling very well and then you get a little funnier because they're laughing so hard it was one of those nights and after in the meet and greet i was like you know you the last time you guys laughed because it wasn't like quite that this is not that quite that fun and they were like oh we don't laugh we're women and we're artists and we're lesbians and if we go to comedy clubs they just make fun of us 
And I said, oh, oh yeah. interesting. Well, when I get back from tour, I'm going to make you a show. It's going to be unhomophobic, unxenophobic, unmisogynist. It'll be uncabaret. And I don't oh. even know where that word came from. I do know that. Uh, so it was kind of a download, the decision. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I was frustrated in the comedy world. I didn't, I wanted to get into comedy clubs and I was into comedy clubs and I was working in them, but I wasn't happily working in them. I didn't feel like I would say I was flourishing in them. Yeah. I didn't feel like. It's such a specific culture. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's so specific from one club to the next in one city. Yes. Never mind like going across the United States. Yeah. That's so, that's not my bag. I'm, I'm forever impressed and shocked with with folks who somehow Manage. make that work yes <laughs> that's not for me well and now it's a little i think i mean i have to say alt comedy has changed comedy clubs a little bit but especially before anything like alt comedy existed um and there were, had been one night at the comedy store where i was following andrew dice clay and I just remember standing in the wings and I'm like, I hate him. I hate the audience for laughing at him. I hate myself for hating them. Yes. And then I was just so frozen. Oh, with my hate. God. Well, I know. What a feeling to have before you're supposed to go on stage and charm people. You know? <laughs> well, I love so that, unfair to I you. I love that you say that to charm people because I think I've always seen it as like so many other comedians are good with hate. And if they had only been that person, they would have just gone on to I hate you and turned it into something funny but I just was I just remember in that moment having this like one of those CNN you know just billboard you know just running yeah, like a ticker yeah, like, like a, like a ticker, ticker thing, thing. Yeah, like yeah. there has to be a better way there has to be a better way there has to be a better <laughs> totally. way and totally. I was just living with that you know and for many reasons going back to you know early childhood that I just really felt like something. And then when this happened and I was like, well, I'll make you this show. I still didn't know what it would be exactly. And I don't know where the word uncabaret came from. I wasn't a cabaret person. I don't think I'd ever even been to a cabaret. Uh (laughs) (laughs) That said, it's a great word. (laughs) But there it was. I mean, I'd been to the movie with my boyfriend and his boyfriend. It was an immersive experience. So. <laughs> so I don't know. I then I saw there that we started, you know, start where you are. And so I just started from mm-hmm. this need of having, you know, something else. That, yeah. That was how it that was like, you know, I do go into the book. Um I just did this audio book, so you need to decide. And yes, I, please tell everyone about so well, you need to decide. I do go into, you know, how it started. I talk about that as like a blink moment. Mm-hmm, you know, Mal- mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell's blink moment, but that there was a whole lifetime of like staring before the blink. And so I think we delude ourselves into this idea that we can make these blink decisions without understanding like all that has to come before it. So absolutely. I go into a lot of a lot of what turned me into the person who had that moment. But and then it was a huge journey from there, you know, from there of that moment of figuring out what does on cabaret mean. At first, it's just a different context. And then what are we going to do? Anything that doesn't fit into the clubs. But then we move venues and then um, and then we were at highways and it was just Taylor Negron and Judy Toll and I. And um, I think a lot of the DNA, I sort of think of it as like gestation, you know, insemination, gestation, birth. There was like women's building. Mm highways and then luna park and those were like the three phases of how it began yeah it's i've just haven't 
I was thinking about the last time someone brought up Taylor Negron, and I realized it was Paula Poundstone. Uh, she said when she was telling me when she came to L.A. and she was like sort of crashing with him. And again, just hearing these, you know, legendary folks being feeling like, you know, they're because because whenever I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you. There are things that people, even just with Sketchfest, which I've now done for, it would be 20 plus years, but because of the pandemic, it's sort of hovering. Yeah. We've been almost about to celebrate our 20th birthday for like two years. I think you still have the birthday. It still exists. Whether still or not the that event. Birthday. Yeah, yeah. Take it. Yeah. So I have a 22 year old child. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we celebrated on Cabaret's 25th anniversary, people were like, didn't you have your 25th anniversary five years before that? I was like, yeah, but it kind of depends where you count from. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that such of it so much. Yeah, I mean, it, so, but when people are like, oh, you started this thing. And while objectively that's true, and I sort of look back on it, and I'm like, okay. But when you're in it, I don't know how many of us have just exactly what you're saying about that blank moment. I, it's really hard to be like, here I am at the crossroads of something. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't necessarily, I personally, and I, I'm curious, I mean, it sort of sounds like you've already said that, is like, I don't, I did not feel the marking of time in no. that precise way. It was just this messy thing that yes. sort of had all these legs and you had to sort of chop a leg off over here and then a g- arm grew over here. And yeah. within 10 years, you finally were able to look and go, oh, uh, I think I have some perspective now. Yeah. Like 10 uh, years later looking at the beginning yeah and so but from the outside I absolutely do recognize like yeah you were part of this this movement that really drastically affected the way people perceived comedy the way they engaged in it took it in and likewise just the idea of how many other folks material and acts and approach were informed by and inspired by and enabled by the kind of show that you were making available for comedians to do, not just for audiences to see, but, you know, I like as a person who dabbles, but is in, in improv and in music and stuff and comedy, but mm-hmm. never in stand up, depending on the showrunner and where the show is and what the vibe of the show is, you can end up getting inspired to do stuff you never would have done anywhere else. So mm-hmm. I love that not only did you, you know, change and affect the experience for the the comedy fan, but you helped shape some of these folks who like I don't know what their material would have been like if they weren't part of that kind of movement you know yes I mean and I have to say Janet at the time when we started there weren't really there weren't comedy fans I mean (laughs) it's like bachelor bachelor and bachelorette parties yeah I mean there were still tourist buses coming to the improv and yeah I would invite my friends who were writers and artists and directors and They'd go, eh, I don't know, a stand-up show. Yeah. And I'd go, oh, it's not like that. And they'd go, eh. And slowly, you know, we were, dra- it was a show was already, I believed, so, I mean, we had the, actually, highways, it really took off in the women's building. But when we landed at Luna Park and it was like an ongoing thing and we were really having to get audiences into this West Hollywood room and people were really resistant. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. But then people started coming and loving it and bringing their friends. That was really, I mean, that's how it really took off was word of mouth, their friends. Sure. And that audience was so much a part of shaping the show. I really, they are, they are a partner in this because um, they're listening. 
you know, one of the innovations of OnCab was the back mic. And the reason the back mic happened was because what I was telling people was just do the material. As I tried to figure out, like, what, as you said, you know, you cut off a leg, you think the thing. And as I was figuring out what it was, I was like, okay, here's what it is. Do the material that your head is going to explode if you don't say it. Yes. Because everybody was doing these tight tens in the clubs and, like, there was... Slick. There's this, a slickness to that. Yes. And there was just yeah. these giant, like, volcanoes of material inside of people. Um, and don't forget, we didn't have any social media. That's how far away it was. So yeah. nobody had other outlets. You know, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, well, I'll tweet that movie. Oh, for thing. sure. It was yeah, all, for sure. All going on stage. So there was all Great the family point. stuff, all the love stuff, all the show business stuff. And you could still say show business stuff in rooms because there was no social media. Yes. Uh, I'm getting screechy on that. It was just crazy. So what happened was people started doing, you know, because the audience was coming back we started to realize like oh we can't repeat material that was as that's how that rule happened yeah and be in the now don't repeat material and so I had this back mic and I would start asking people questions because you know you know from any once you when you're doing material for the first time it's new you miss stuff you know yeah people would get get derailed maybe you lose your train of thought or you get this great thing that you don't even realize is a great thing and I'd be like oh that thing that thing go over there that's really good you know so I would just ask a question and I also learned from watching that the one thing that will keep an audience from laughing is an unanswered question. Like there's two Mm. things. The audience is worried about you or they have a question you're not answering. Those two things. So I was in the back of the room trying to help people stay away from those two things. So I would just ask questions. That was the whole reason for the back mic. And the audience real, and I really became sort of a you know, my laugh, people know my laugh. And I would sort of be like, oh, this is a funny thing. This is okay to laugh at and give people sort of permission to do yeah. long setups. I mean, part of it was rhythm. And uh, I, you know, I don't know if you don't work in comedy clubs for, you know, your listeners, the fascism of an every second, every seven second laugh Mm-hmm. means that you can't do any real setups. You can't yeah. talk about it. Anyway, I'm, obviously, yeah. I'm just blathering now. But that's, No, you're I'm not. No, it's excited. all so true, and it's so good. I mean, it's so true. I mean, it's. I have, I also love, you know, rapid fire, great tight stand-up comedy. I have tremendous respect for, you know, sometimes it's not my cup of tea. Other times, you know, somebody like Patton can go into a rapid fire mode that oh. is just as brilliant as like a long storytelling mode. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, but, I love fast talk. I mean, don't. Yeah. yeah. And I love it. Just, it just act. doesn't have to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that can't be the only Where does thing. it come from? And where does, it, where does come it come from? And to the difference for me, again, going back to improv, but like, you know, I I've done short form. I've done comedy sports. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, who's lying kind of stuff. And I really have a great time doing that. But my love is with long form yeah. for the same reason. Like I want a scene. I don't care if a scene doesn't get a laugh for three minutes. Right. If it's interesting and it's strange or it it clearly the, the performers are connecting like that's that feels great to me, yeah. you know, rather than feeling, again, that pressure. And you're so right about people worrying about you. Like, that's the kindest <laughs> version of pressure from an audience. But it's so real. It's so real. Because if you're super worried about someone, you're also probably not laughing or you're laughing nervously yeah. or you're I mean, like, it's so me- it's so met you get in your head about it as an audience yeah. member. And oh, 
yeah. that journey is can be very painful for everyone. But involved. I do think it has to do with kindness. I like that you say that. I mean, I do think it has to do with us not wanting to laugh at people yeah. as a kind culture. I mean, it's such we, our culture gets such a rap as, you know, mean. and But I see it in people that they don't want to hurt people, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe that's why it's so awful when it's the, at, at its most impersonal. Yes. Because when you're tasked with being a human being in the same room as someone, you're like, oh, I don't have the desire to do any of those things that I do when you're just like words in the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface... Well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, Every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know this is probably in your book, but I just because I like to dive in yeah. some into teenage years yeah. on the podcast. Um, were you as a teenager? Where did you grow up? And did you have that sort of if it doesn't exist for you, you better make it? Did that was that did that come early to you or was Uncabaret kind of? an earlier or was that one of the first times that you kind of had that that I development? think I always well I grew up in New Haven Connecticut I grew up in Providence Rhode Island and New Haven Connecticut my teenage years were in New Haven and I think I always did veer towards innovation um I naturally I went to Brown and and I made up my own major you know art dance and yeah. modes of expression art dance and writing Ooh, I love it yeah it was fun I mean I you know it was like let's figure out the idea was like different ideas or different oh, who cares about it well, whatever um, <laughs> so great. and I'm trying to think like if I was actually if I imagined myself to be innovative in I think I always yeah you know I was creative and I think I like to invent stuff like art wise and different media I was exploratory so it didn't come out of nowhere definitely not but it's it, it mostly came out out of uh, when I was five, I had a blood disease and I was in the hospital, but I like felt fine. So it's such a mm. weird thing. Like you're sick, but you feel fine. So you never really yeah. know like what's what. And yeah. I think there was an experience I had there, which was watching kids in the hospital play doctor and thinking like, well, I mean, we're in the hospital. I mean, can't we play like house or school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean you know something, something. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe we could kiss I don't know anything besides doctor I mean obviously as an adult I realized that role playing and figuring it out right and, and then I think when I was then in the comedy clubs I thought and I was complaining and I sort of all of a sudden one day in some shitty club in Encino and I was just like I mean ah god can't we do it and I was like oh my god it's the exact same thing as being in the hospital and thinking can't we play a different game 
And then yeah. realizing like I had never suggested another game. So I th yeah. think that part of it is I always saw that things could be better. Why can't it be this way? I was always trying to figure out better ways for things. Mm -hmm. Like every teenager, like, why does there have to be war? I mean, if nobody shot anybody, there wouldn't be any war. Right. I mean, but I think because I realized like I had never suggested another game. So I think as a teenager, I, I knew I was different. I knew I was just, I just was different. I wasn't mm. in a place that was extremely conformative. There wasn't, I mean, I see shows and movies and talk to beat friends. And I didn't go somewhere where I didn't go to a school where there was this like excessive amounts of conformity. I went to a small private school. I went to two different smaller private schools and, you know, mm. they were pretty creative and every, it was encouraged. So being different was sort of to be the same. Mm. And so innovation was kind of part of it. And I guess I would say that there was a lot, I was like a cheerleader for the Jewish center though. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Listen, I'm a cheerleader for the Jewish center. Every, every experience I've ever had at a JCC or anything equivalent in the Jewish community, I'm like, what? I, what are you, what do you mean? I can't belong here full time. What's happening? This feels so right to me. Right. Oh. So I did that in junior high school kind of to get out of gym. Um, but it's how you're a cheerleader, but it's for the Jewish center. You know, it's like, it's weird. <laughs> we went all around to the country and we had a really good Jewish center team, but it was all the guys who they were in school, but they, they weren't tall enough or big enough or good enough to play on the high school team. Oh, so, uh, there was that. And then, and then I remember like I broke up with, I was dating one, like the center and he looked like a Jewish Elvis and he was really cute. But he wasn't that smart. And I knew that. I just, <laughs> I mean, I knew. <laughs> I just I knew. knew. Like, I yeah. can't, these aren't my people. I'm not supposed yeah. to be with these people. But this is the end. This is the end of me. Even I remember really crying, being in my teenage room and just sobbing and sobbing because I couldn't quite imagine. I just was desperate to get out. Like that was my main, I was thinking about my teenage years, you know, before we talked, and I was like, I just had this urge to let's be done with it and get out. I didn't, I knew I wanted to move to New York. I knew I, you know, that's all I knew. Like, I'm going to move to New York. That, that was yeah. it. And, uh -huh. um, <laughs> had you spent time there? Had you visited and had a sense, like, was there a very physical experience you had that kind of helped inform this is what New York is going to be like for me? Or was it like my experience of New York until my 20s, which was never been there, only saw it in various people's films I, and stuff. Uh, that so you had a very romantic idea, I guess. Uh, I think for I, the most part, yeah, I definitely did uh, something in between. My dad worked in New York sometimes. He had an office in New York, and we'd go back and forth. He was in the clothing business, and um, so I did go in a lot. You know, okay. I got my hair cut in New York. We would go shopping in New York, but I never had a realistic, like when I was a senior in college and we went for like studio tours. I mean, that was the first that I saw of artist studios, but my mom would take me to, even when I was pretty young, I would go to the museum of modern art. Um, I went to the museums. We saw shows. Yeah. I would go in from college with friends and see art and shows. So I had a, like a tour. An outside, I had like a more realistic than just film and TV, but I didn't yeah. know what it would be to like 
you know, try to find an, a place to live and afford it and have jobs and, you know, sure. and make your make your life. Sure. But sure. I, it was great. I, those are some of my greatest memories that are living in. I loved it. Well, I mean, I think that's that's an experience I, I, I sort of wish I had had. But I, I hate to say, like, because I feel like I've been saying this for many years. Like, I think by the time I hit 30, I was like, well, I'm never going to move to New York. <gasps> oh. uh, those days are done. Which it was never a huge priority for me, but I think there was there. I left room for the possibility that maybe I would get a job there, or that might. something would happen that would. I mean, I just would have to have more money yeah. than I oh, maybe sure. would have. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> oh yeah, it's tough to. That is a tough town, and you know, I have friends who moved to New York and very much were committed to the theater scene and stayed in the theater scene and still live like church mice, Yeah, you know, but are happy because they are living the dream and, you know, they're they're not starring in a Broadway show, but they have significant, you know, uh, secondary roles and stuff. But I don't know. It's hard. It's hard once you sort of get into a groove where you're like, oh, this feels like I have a home that feels like mine yeah. and you know, I've nested in yes. some way. It's harder to imagine the New York experience, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, people say, would you ever move back? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, for the job that I don't know what that job is. But right, right. You know, maybe for six months at some point in a, you know, I ha I do. I have friends that are successful media people who leave and, you know, let me stay in their four story West Village townhouse. There you this go. This is what That's happens. What I want. And this is That's what happens. That's what I want. This happens every time. Day three. I can't believe I don't live in New York. Oh my God. <sighs> I love it here so much. Why did I ever leave? What's wrong with me? And day five, suddenly I'm like, Oh yeah, this is <laughs> this is my life. I wouldn't have this life, but I always yeah. have like a small moment. I do too. Oh, I a get it. A few days of like. Oh, I totally get it. It might be like the first snowflakes fell when I was there. And like for that day, I was like, I'm packing up and moving here, baby. <laughs> and then two days later, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't, I know this yeah. is yeah, yeah, yeah. not for me. I do love living it. I mean, I do love Los Angeles also. I still feel like a New Yorker in Los Angeles, even mm -hmm. though I've lived here for so long. That makes sense, though. I mean, I think that's common. And I felt like a San Franciscan in, and I'm not even from San Francisco, but having lived there for almost 10 years before I moved down here, I definitely identified as a San Francisco person living in LA. Yeah. And then at some point, for something shifted for me. And that probably was Sketchfest, like going up to San Francisco and every year still having a relationship with the city, but realizing like, wait, I'm ready to go home yeah. at the end of Sketchfest. Yeah. I, I have to accept that, that that means my home is Los Angeles. Yeah. If I'm like... Because there was a time where I was like, I don't, I don't want schedules to be over. I just want to stay here, you know. Yeah. Um. And that and that did shift. But I'm interested. Yeah. That the idea of. I mean, I, I'm probably like drawing some very crude parallels that are oversimplifications. But the idea of being in a smaller school and kind of being different, being the norm, and then going to a school like Brown, which I've had lots of friends who have gone to Brown, and I'm, I have that jealousy that you have or the, the envy that non-Brown people have when <laughs> the, their friends are like, oh, no, no, we met at Brown. And I'm like, you're not even saying anything braggy. You're just <laughs> saying you met that person at Brown. And I still feel like you're bragging because I know you had this great experience at this school. <laughs> so now I'm assigning braggadocio to you being like, oh, I just said we, we, just met, we met there. You literally asked me how we met. And I said we met at Brown. 
down and now you're mad at me. Um, but that, I mean, that. I have to say, I do always hesitate to say it for that reason. Sometimes I'll just say <laughs> you college. Totally I'll say college. And people go, well, where did you go? Go on, bro. <laughs> well, and I don't care. When people say, when people talk about going to Harvard or Yale or or Stanford or any of those schools, that's kind of doesn't mean this. I don't really care. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, Ivy School, good for you. But because of the friends, the type of people who are attracted to Brown and who came out of Brown that were in my life, I was like, oh, that sounds like a pretty pretty great experience. The Friends was um, one of the main of things that came from it. I mean, you know, that friend in New York, you know, and yeah. it wasn't even a group of arty friends. I mean, sometimes I think the one of the greatest things was that I have friends that are in other areas besides the arts because sure. of Brown. But I do think that one of the proto experiences that led to Uncabaret happened there, which was this thing called the funny room. We live, mm-hmm. I lived in sophomore year at what was then a new dorm on in Pembroke, which was the women's school that had merged with Brown. And it was the Pembroke campus. Anyway, it was a new building. And they had, there was this weird common room that had no furniture in it. It was oddly shaped. It was small. It had indoor outdoor carpeting with a bench. It had a cut out like window in the wall that w- went into a hallway and had reestat lighting. What was it? I mean, uh-huh. it like, <laughs> what was it for? I mean, you know, reading, yeah. I guess. But uh-huh. what happened was we assigned, we, what my friend group and I ended up meeting there. We would have these events. I don't know how it started, but here's what would happen at lunch. Somebody would go like, let's go to the funny room, funny room, funny. We ended up calling it the funny room. Yeah. And somebody would steal a Boston cream pie and a spoon and we would go we'd get so high and then (laughs) and then there would always be like eight to maybe you know 16 people and past the and then finally when we were so high and we needed to eat something somebody would start (laughs) chanting I can't believe this really happened it's like this (laughs) somebody would start chanting oh great pie oh great pie so crazy and then we would take you invented your own like hasty puddings like yes. group like an informal like <laughs> mason you were the freemasons of the funny room we were the <laughs> you're like the joke freemasons oh i love God. it and then the pie, would oh, go great pie and then after the pie people would pop up and go behind into the hallway area and do shows in this little window. In the window. In that That's little awesome. window. Oh, I love that. And when I say to them, though, that group, like, you know, it's funny how I got into comedy. And I just was so serious that, I mean, I have this impression of myself because I was like a modern dance choreographer and a yeah. printmaker and a uh-huh. nude model. And I didn't uh-huh. necessarily remember myself as like hilarious. And then they were like, your show's in the funny room. Your shows. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, that that was and it was very much like on Cabin that it was a it was a group. It wasn't a, it wasn't a closed group. People would bring yeah. friends, but it did yeah. have a family feeling. It had a supportive feeling. So besides the fun of it, there was community. And I think community and you must find this with Sketchfest also the the community of it is one of the most important things. And absolutely. The people who are drawn to it are drawn to wanting that. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I think that makes so much sense. I mean, that idea, especially the idea of we're going to show up to this. There's isn't necessarily a set of expectations that have to be met, you know, so that when magic happens, 
it feels really special. And when it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter because you still you're still having pie. a good time because you showed up and you still <laughs> have fucking oh great pie. Which, by the way, I'm very glad. you. I have not thought about Boston cream pie in a minute. And I could not tell you the last time someone offered it up to me. And that is a damn good pie. I mean, that is just like, because right? it's like sort of pudding-y, right? I mean, yeah, you're sort of it's eating sort of like this just... A- Banana very cream. Sensual. Or, yeah. <laughs> very sensual. <laughs> Much more sensual than like a pecan pie where you have to kind of gnaw oh, your way through yeah. it, even though oh that's like sugary and good. But so much chewing. I love that it was a Boston cream pie. That's perfect. <laughs> Who gets the cherry? Isn't there always one cherry on I the think, top? I don't think at the cafeteria they bothered with the cherry. <laughs> they were bothering with the cherry. And you only got one bite at a time. I bet it tasted so goddamn good. So goddamn good. Oh, I love it. No, that makes absolute total sense. Were you, you spoke about the, the um, Jewish Elvis that you yes. <laughs> that you dated uh, from the center team. Uh, what was your dating life like in college? Did you feel like you had a better selection of kind of kindred spirits? Better. But, you know, I still, I think that at school I found there was a lot of jocks still. And hmm. there were a lot of science nerds. I I after the El- after the Jewish Elvis I hooked up with uh one other guy at in high school I you know and I was a senior so I kept saying you know I don't want to fall in love you know it's like I know mm-hmm. we're both leaving but somehow felt you know fell madly in love and mm. so we carried into freshman year he went to art school in Philadelphia and um he decided he couldn't do a long distance relationship and yeah. that was just a torturous breakup um, oh, no. yeah oh i God, know how hard though to oh, be hard. i mean i anybody who, who i mean i i don't even think i flirted with a long distance relationship i i just can't that's that is a lot to ask it's of a lot young people yeah it is so when you're just like everything's constantly stimulating yeah, and you're trying and, to figure you out know, who you are and, yeah you know, do you think yeah so i mean it was him but after that i fell in love with uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever gone on one date in my whole life. Maybe three. I'm not a <laughs> dater. <laughs> and so yep. um, I I ended up with uh, somebody who was in our friend group. And we were on again, off again for the rest of college. He was mm. gay. Uh, bi, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, at the senior year, he... I mean, that joke about cabaret is true. At the senior year, there was another guy. And we hung out, the three of us, a lot while they were really falling in love and they're still together. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And we're friends. Wow. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. it was hard then, but it wasn't hard yeah. in the same heartbreak way. The things that were hurtful were more, it was more about the longing to be with my people, which I felt mm-hmm. I wasn't. I just yeah. felt so hard in my heart that I just was, you know, I lived in the suburbs and, it just seemed bleak and it seemed yeah. culturally devo- It wasn't really because I could go downtown. I mean, and I do write about this in the book. The, I, the Yale New Haven Art Museum was a haven for me. And I think I made a lot of life decisions sitting and mm. looking at a, one particular Hopper painting. 
Oh, that's great. Um, and I had a great English teacher who, this is crazy, my high school English teacher is now my therapist. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Holy shit. So this is a person who's known you, whether or not you yes. stayed in touch through that yes. entire period, but who has a sense of you as an, as an yes. adolescent. I mean, I feel like a lot of therapists would be really envious of that. Like, damn, you got the inside scoop on teenage version of that? Yes. That's helpful. Knew my parents. Like, That's so amazing. I will sometimes miss something and she'll be able to go, well, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's almost intimidatingly cool. Isn't that com- oh, great? That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's I, great. That's a blessing. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. A man goes to the doctor and says that he's depressed and that life seems cruel. The doctor says, ah, the treatment is simple. The great clown Pagliacci is in town tonight. Go and see him, and you will surely feel better. The man bursts into tears and says, But doctor, I am Pagliacci. Ah, okay, says the doctor. In which case, try listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award winning comedy podcast, and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I got to get into this mash game with you, which oh. I don't know if you haven't heard the the uh, podcast. You may not know what mash is. But I have heard. Can... I have heard a bunch of it, but I I, okay. I, I don't mind. Uh, so remember. it's this it's it's this game that I started playing uh, through just other friends in grade school, and it's just a way of celebrating wonderful things that we love. Okay, uh, that's one way of putting it. But I'm going to create these categories, and you're just going to give me off the cuff answers. It'll be like three foods you love. Okay, it will be very simple. But okay, for this first category, I'm going to ask for three places in the world, whether you've been there or not, that you would love to have a second home. And we're going to assume we can just sort of teleport you there, okay. so you don't have to worry about the travel. All right. Well, Paris. Wonderful. Um, New York and uh, Bali. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So next one I'm going to do, I mentioned the foods thing. Let's do three foods that in this reality, maybe you feel are ecologically uh, you shouldn't partake of, or you have an allergy, or you just wish that you could eat an entire Boston cream pie and not feel sick. All of the negatives are being taken away in this false world that we're making. I don't want to say false. This fictitious, <laughs> beautiful fantasy world that we're creating. Everything, there's no ramifications. So you can have but it are, am snap I of still your fingers. Me? Am I still me? You're still you, right. but you're so not going to get alcohol. sick. You're not going <laughs> to... I mean, if, yeah, that's always the question. That's always the question. It's like, hmm, my sobriety. Um. All right, I will go with that. Okay, bread and butter. Bread and butter. I could great, just eat great. bread and butter all day long, yes, every indeed. day. Yes, indeed. Love um, it. Bagels and butter. No, bread and butter <laughs> cover all the breads and butter. Yes, yes, that covers all the breads. Don't you worry. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll say Boston cream pie because it's on our, you know, because we're already talking about it. Uh you would eat all the time, though. God. Whenever you want it. I mean, oh, I it's see. not like, oh, yeah, you yeah. don't have to eat. It's it's all up to you. It's just like, and it could even be like, oh, my God, I had this one baguette in Paris that I had spread the brie on and there were the cornichon, a little arugula, and I've never been able to get something that tastes that sounds that good. good. That does like sound that. good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. A Greenblatt's, which is now oh, closed. Yes. A Greenblatt's Cobb salad. Oh, Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Oh, listen, I'm telling you, I agree on 
get get me the right cob and I'm so happy. Get me the wrong cob and yeah. I'm like sobbing. But Greenblatt's closed and it's really tragic. I know. So okay. Know. All right. Let's not okay. dwell. All right. We're not dwelling. Next category is three uh, movies that you can jump into whenever you want. You're not reliving the plot. You're not a character. It's just getting into that oh, world. Okay. So okay. it could be this version of New York or it could be Star Trek or okay. it could be uh, Dune, whatever. Okay. Uh, the Philadelphia Story. Great. Um, the X-Files. Great. And um, what about some great New York... What movies do I love, Janet? It's been so long. <laughs> All I ever do is watch no. Nine to Five. I would get to be with oh, Lily that's Jane a great and one. Dolly. Oh my God, that's fabulous. What a great choice. Okay, beautiful. Love it. All right, let's do some fictitious romantic partners. I'm not asking you to make a long-term commitment to any of okay. these people. It could be, or it might be a one-night stand. That's all up to you. It can be anyone, living or dead. It could be a character from a book, a character from a cartoon, uh, an All actor, right. a politician, who cares? Three. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say both Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny. Oh, could not agree more. And then for number 3, Cary Grant. What a doll. What a doll. Okay. Next category, let's do three Let's do three musicians that are basically making a soundtrack of your life for you. So it's going to be all new original music. Oh, wow. Um, just for you. That sort of helps, like, encapsulate a day a day in the life. And it could be a, you know, one song will be a good day in the life. All one right. song will be a tragic I live with life. a musician, and he is constantly making music that is the soundtrack of my life. <gasps> I love it. So that's that. He And his music, Mitch Kaplan, is... Um, it's in the oh, book. Sure. So that, that yeah. yeah so that, oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, but like, fuck him because fuck this him. is an alternate universe. This is universe. another thing. Yeah. <laughs> this totally is an alternate kidding. universe. Well, Phoebe Bridge. I would say Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> Great. Uh, but could I have Phoebe Bridgers and Joni Mitchell because that's a lot of that. Um, like as your second one, you yeah. have Joni. Yeah, I would. Okay. I I've mean, met her. I've had been to her house. I know that's oh God. that's a flex. Um, that's a flex, but I'm happy to hear it. I'm, anytime I can be one degree of separation from Joni, I'm it's on pretty good, board, hundred percent. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Nirvana, great. All right, let's do three three artists. It could be Hopper. It could be. Uh, Martha Graham, artists from any media. Okay. That three that you would love to collaborate with on something, <gasps> and you don't even have to know what that is. Do you know what I mean? You could just be like, I want to work with this person. I don't even care. I don't know. I can't even tell you what it's going to be, but I want to do something with them. Oh, living or dead. Wow. Gosh. All right. I want to write a song with Taylor Swift. Amazing. What a great use of this. Absolutely. 100%. I want to do a museum something with Marina Abramowitz. Marina Abramowitz. She's the and I actually played her in Sex in the City. <gasps> that's amazing. She's yes, that, I know exactly. Uh, she's that artist that sits in the museum and you know. Yes. Yeah. And just oh, being gorgeous. her for two days was so crazy. Yeah. Oh, um, I love that. So that would be fun. And then yeah, oh my God, you said Martha Graham. Wouldn't it be amazing to do a dance? Theater, living or dead though. Oh, what about Stephen yeah. Sondheim? I want to do. Oh, but then I already yes. did a music project oh. with Taylor Swift. Can I get rid of Taylor Swift? <laughs> <laughs> she's right. in and it's she's a out. Three way. It's a three way uh -huh. mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. Taylor Swift and Stephen Sondheim. So 
Sondheim. Great. It's a co- I'm, we're, I'm gonna allow it. I'm, the court will allow it. Okay. And then I want to do the dance thing. I do want to do a dance thing with. But so in this, I'm actually able to dance because it's a fantasy. I'm able yep. to do things that I can't do. Hundred percent. Okay. So what at Fosse? Fosse. Oh, I want to do dance. Great. I want to dance with Fosse. Oh, I, I I did meet Barishnikov when I was on Sex in the City, and I had a dream about dancing with him. Uh, before that, before I knew yeah. I was going to meet him, but I think it would be amazing to. Uh, all right, I already had I that. I already had that dream. Sticking with you Fosse. had that dream. I love the. I love the Fosse. Yeah. I think that's great. See, I'm as a tall girl. From the minute I found out how tall Bershnikov was, I was like, nope. Nope. Oh, God. Like, no. I'd have to lift him, and well, that yeah. would be very embarrassing. <laughs> shouldn't be. Shouldn't be in a, gen- in a gender equal society. I shouldn't feel like an Amazon, but I just don't. I don't think it would have the same I'm feel. always <laughs> really, I, you know, I, I do think it's a big gender thing. Because when I see a taller woman with a younger man, I do have a little bit of good for them. And that is so wrong. I shouldn't have to feel that. But I appreciate you saying that because I do the same thing. And it's like, oh, something's still occurring to us about this. Therefore, we ain't there yet. It's you know? Right, yeah. It's so true. You're, yeah. so, you're so right. I'm catching that's myself. That's a great point. I'm, that's I'm a great point. Checking myself so I don't wreck myself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, next one. Let's do... Well, you brought up the could I do what I can't do now. So let's do three skills that we can just gift you with that you are superb at. um, Tomorrow morning you'll wake up, you'd be superb. Oh, my God. You can do anything. I love this. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Sorry. Be more creative than do your own hair. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean. It's your game, baby. You want to do your own hair. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I love love seeing David. Um, All right. Let's see. Uh, I mean singing. I mean, who doesn't want to sing better than they can and the best? Singing. Great. Love it. Singing and dancing. I mean, I love singing, dancing and painting. I wish I could just do those three things better. You can, because any, anything else you could just, hi- I mean, it's the things you can't hire people to do. It's the things. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. All right. I think it's a great, those are great choices. Okay. Final category. Let's do, um, I mean, listen, this might be a melancholy way to end, but you just talking about Greenblatt's closing and stuff. Are there three things that you would like to bring out of retirement or things Ooh. that no longer exist. It could be you bring a person back to existence. It could be, and I understand that we're fucking with destiny yeah. and fate or whatever, like bring back the dinosaurs are going to kill all the animals. Not like that. But, you know, bring back Greenblatt's, bring back a certain, you know, artist or bring back like the thing, that the style of blank. It could be totally uh, surface and it could be totally deep. Okay. It's up to you. It's, oh, all right. There's no wrong yeah, answer. That's a, that's a lot too. Gosh, I, I feel like a goddess um well what about this what why don't we bring back a a a, a women loving culture life great. before misogyny great um i'd like to bring back a world where people dressed up more i hate the yeah. schlumpy world yeah i'm saying yes i'm wearing pajama pants <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> and then I like slowly move my knee down out of view. You look so pretty. You look, you <sighs> dress up. I mean, you can still dress up in pajamas. I, I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, it's not, it's not the, it's not what the items are. It's how they're, yeah. you know, it's the how. Yeah. It's not the what. Um, and then a third thing I'd like to bring back would be. I just want to bring back like clean air. God, that's yeah. I'm so boring about this. Let's see. I can. No, it's fun. great. 
Listen, when no one was driving in L.A. in like <gasps> spring of 2020, <sighs> it was like, ooh, what is my, oh, my lungs are, I guess they're larger than I thought they were. Right. And you really re- feel it. The birds, like the sound of the birds w- yeah. you would walk outside and you were like, oh, my God. Yeah. And you, I really thought this, I'm such a silly optimist and a dreamer wrapped in a bubble. I did the same of, thing. I know what you're going to say, and I did the same thing. I wrapped in a bubble of, you know, comedy, you know, cynicism. Um, I just think, I just thought it was going to, I thought that yeah. was a change that was going to happen. Yeah. I really thought, I mean, I really. I was like, everyone recognizes how special this is, and like, we could do this. We could do a version of this, if not exactly this, like we can take this moment and take the lesson, right? Yeah, I think the reason we keep getting these variants is because I feel like at first we were being told to go to our room. Fine. We did. We thought about things. We came out. We haven't changed. So we keep getting sent back in. I mean, that's the spiritual explanation, but whatever. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. And you're not the only person saying that. That's for sure. Um, okay. I am going to ask you to give me a word, just one word that sort of helps describe, like, your mood when you woke up this morning. Excited to see Janet Varney. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and use just excited. That's a lot of letters. <laughs> and while I, I'm going to use this word to uh, do my eeny, meeny, miny, mo kind of scenario that will give us the outcome of your 100% guaranteed mash alternate universe life (laughs) will you tell everyone about the book and other places anything else that you would like them to know and find and enjoy about you sure uh well the book so you need to decide is an original audiobook and it's available everywhere you get your audiobooks uh audible and uh, apple and everywhere else uh it's a mix of a conversation i had with Everyone from, oh, I should just look at my list, Margaret Cho, Phoebe Bridgers, uh, Isaac Mizrahi, Dana Gould, Bob Odenkirk, a lot of your favorite Uncab people, and um, and others. And then my own narrative of decision-making, much of it around Uncabaret and deeper. Uh, we talked about family. We talked about work. We talked about love. We talked about spirituality and moving and um and about the process of decision making itself it's funny and uh, according to people it's comforting people are starting to tell mm. me they're finding it comforting and helpful that doesn't surprise me and so that that thank you sweetie so that's so that's that project and i so um it's eight and eight and a half hours of it so once you pick it i love to pick something that then i don't have to keep deciding on things like you get a good thing and you that's i watched every episode we watched every episode of the x-files during lockdown it was the greatest thing and there's like 13 seasons of it all right uh, i am so glad for you well first of all was there anything else you yeah, wanted to say i just would say on cabaret is still live and uh, vital and we are doing zooms we did zooms we pivoted to zooms march 17th um, and then we kept doing them. We're on our 40th Zoom. They're happening now once or twice a month, depending on where we are with live shows, gotcha. when the when the, the variants allow us to do a live show. We're also there. So find me on social and find on Cabaret on social. I'm Beth underscore Lapidus on Instagram and Beth Lapidus everywhere else and um, on Cabaret as well. And just get with it. Get with it, everybody. I have some news for you that I'm very excited to report based on the thing that you just told me about what you watched during quarantine, which is that not only did you watch every episode, but from here forward, 
you can jump into the X-Files <gasps> whenever you want. And not only that, and I'm just going to put this in here because how can I how can I not include this when I deliver that news, is that you are romantically entangled with David Duchovny. So <gasps> oh my gosh. it would be a sexy, exciting opportunity for you to jump wow. into the X-Files. And I think that means like you have access to, I mean, obviously you also have access to Jillian. But you have access. I love the idea that you have access to the characters of Mulder and Scully. But you, in your in your own life, also have access to your hot smoking relationship. It's with It's so Cuffney. complicated. I love it. <laughs> I You've given me a dreamy, complicated life. <laughs> I I encourage you to just sing about it because you have a flawless <laughs> singing voice. And I can only imagine that when you're staying in your apartment, your chic apartment in Paris, there are going to be opportunities for you to do a little bit of maybe not uncabaret, maybe cabaret, as well as the fact that if you want to include a little bit more, maybe some movement, something like that, along with the singing in this uh, in this beautiful place in Paris or anywhere else you happen to be, know that uh, Bob Fosse is by your side. <laughs> oh, my God. Helping to enhance your performance in the show itself into something absolutely fabulous. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not enough for you. And you also want a soundtrack just made for you by Joni Mitchell. <laughs> Don't mind if you do. Don't mind if you do. That also leads to, listen, all of these things going on, you're going to be very hungry because you'll be very, very busy. I want you to know that you can have that perfect Greenblatt's cob whenever you want it. It will appear magically in front of you in its perfect form, perfect flavor, and perfect ratio of items inside that cob. <laughs> and I, I feel like we're getting a lot of really f- uh, female positive stuff coming out of this conversation and the smash. And, and perhaps that is uh, a bellwether of the fact that you are bringing back this uh, absolutely women-cherished, celebrated, misogyny-free culture. Uh, that is coming up into frame through this MASH game. Uh, how about that? You feel pretty good about that? Because oh you better. God. That was an amazing outcome. Wow. Mm-hmm. Beth, this has been such a pleasure, as I knew it would be. There was so no question fun. in my mind that, that us getting finally a chance to really sit finally. down together would I'm be so happy. a joy and a yeah. pleasure. Congrats on the audiobook. I have my own copy. I just haven't had a chance to, re- uh, to read it uh, yet, to listen uh, to it yet, because yeah. uh, I just got it yesterday. But I'm very excited, and it has thank lots you. of my heroes. Um, I hope you so enjoy it. You're a hero. You're a hero. And thank you for it's continuing to bring to all of that. Thank you. What a uh, joy. We'll get you, you up at Sketchfest. Uh, that's so much fun. I feel this yeah. is just our beginning. I absolutely <laughs> agree. The show is produced by Julian Burrell and Christian Duenas. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.